Greetings. A few years back, I was doing some podcasting, but kind of got out of it. But I thought I would begin again. What my podcast, I hope, will be about is looking at education, educational technology, and politics. That was what I originally thought I would start off with. But given the current situation in the country, particularly around racism and the COVID-19 situation, things change a little bit about how I would start off. It really began when, about a year and a half ago, I decided to go back on Facebook, mostly because of conferences that I was presenting at, and it seemed that a lot of people were on Facebook related to educational technology. Um, I took myself off a few years back because it just was getting too much of a frustration and a headache based on what people were posting on Facebook. So I decided I would put back myself onto Facebook primarily just because of the conference presentations and consulting that I was doing. Um, eventually what happened is someone I knew requested friend um, on Facebook and rather than just ignore it, I decided to accept it. Um, and then what began to happen is other people that I knew and kind of knew or grew up in the same town and started requesting friends on Facebook. And that's when things began to get to the point where I began to feel the frustration and, and mixed emotions about being on Facebook. Um, and so what I thought I would do is start off this first podcast talking about that. And um, as I talk about this, what I really would like people to be able to do is really, besides the politics involved um, with the situations, I really like people to really kind of search their hearts and see what they really feel and where some of their feelings may be coming about. So as I go on with this, I hope people will be able to do that and really be honest with themselves. But a little background first. Um, where I first grew up was much different um, than the town that I eventually moved into in third grade. The town I grew up with was pretty much a multicultural town. There was a lot of people that were coming from families from people that were at uh, Air Force or Army base nearby. And one of my best friends who lived across the street from me um, was African-American. Now, at the time, I was pretty young. I was early childhood up to third grade when I moved. Um, I just saw this friend as my friend. I, I knew there was a difference between us, difference in color and everything, but I really felt like more than anything else, we were very good friends. And their family, his family was wonderful to me. I can remember going over there, and they were kind of lived on the house on the hill. And the pretty large family, they had extended family living around the neighborhood. And I always felt so welcome. And I always enjoyed going over there because I was always being well cared for. And uh, whether that was a nice meal and coming from across the street where I had five siblings and my dad was 
a principal not making a lot of money. I mean, I was always knew I would be well fed over there, which as a kid was really important. So moving to a new town, which was pretty much uh, all white, um, it was a big change for me. Uh, I was excited at first to be there I mean because that town had like a downtown area with a movie theater a candy store a news agency where you can go get comics it was just like a real downtown in fact when we moved there uh, relatives would begin to call us the city cousins Um, but what I began to experience beyond that was the racism that existed in that town um, including people in my neighborhood. We had a neighbor next door to us that was supposedly a good Christian. I went to church regularly, you know, observed Sunday as the day of worship. But when it came to racial situation, that's where it began to get ugly. I can remember my father coming home after the killing of Martin Luther King, and he had his headlights on, and my neighbor's comment was basically, what's he doing that for, for that? Well, you can imagine what what the rest of it was. Also, what I began to see is in conversations with people my own age, I began to see the comments beginning to come out. And they were pretty hardcore racist comments. Also in the town, what was interesting was there was never any real estate signs in the yards. This seemed to me to be a very convenient way to determine who could and who could not get into town as far as purchasing a house. Overall, it seemed back then, growing up, the only contact that people had with people of color in that town were regarding the local high school sporting events where we would play towns where there was people of color in those towns. And some of the comments that you would hear were pretty shocking uh, at the sporting events. Some were very subtle, some were pretty blatant. And it even carried over into school. I can remember my high school social studies teacher complaining about having to teach black history when they mandated black history month and hearing friends throughout that time with the different comments that they would make i know this is a tough thing to hear and some people would deny this what was going on at the time but if we were really honest with ourselves and really looked at the situation i I don't know what to say other than you really have to be honest about it If we're ever going to learn from situations, we really have to kind of reflect back on those situations and begin to ponder what we were thinking and what attitudes we were being taught. So growing up in that town, it was quite an experience for me. I often would hear those comments, but it went on after I left that town. I left that town after high school and moved on to other areas. But it wasn't just that town. In other areas that I lived, I would always come in contact with people with attitudes that uh, 
though in a lot of cases they would not admit that they were racist, would make these racist comments. For example, I would get in conversations and then begin to hear about, you know, the lazy people of Camden, for example, and how they didn't want to work and they just bled the system and you would try to have logical conversation with them and it was just like trying to talk logic to a drunk. They just didn't want to hear it, though they would never admit they were racist. I remember being at a party and somebody making a comment when the show Blackish came out that maybe someday we would have some white show on television. And my comment was, well, if you look at the history of television, it's been mostly white our entire life. Choosing a profession as an educator didn't always necessarily mean that the educators that I taught with were educated themselves. Throughout my time as a teacher, I would often get into conversations with people where these little subtle racist remarks would be acceptable. So it was a very frustrating experience, particularly when I dealt with people that consider themselves so-called Christians. And I often would point out, did you ever listen to the Sermon on the Mount? And um, are you really following the teachings of Jesus? Um, and that attending church on Sunday or citing his name all the time, does it truly make you a Christian, in my opinion? You know, part of being a Christian is following those teachings. And it seemed like in a lot of cases, most of them were more the hellfire and brimstone type of folks than really true followers of his teachings. And I say to you, I've also decided to stick with love. But I know that love is ultimately the only answer to mankind's problems. And I'm going to talk about it everywhere I go. I know it isn't popular to talk about it in some circles today. And I'm not talking about emotional bosh when I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love. But I have seen too much hate. I've seen too much hate on the faces of sheriffs in the South. I've seen hate on the faces of too many Klansmen and too many white citizens, counselors in the South, to want to hate myself because every time I see it, I know that it does something to their faces and their personalities. And I say to myself that hate is too great a burden to bear. I have decided to love it. If you are seeking the highest good, I think you can find it through love. And the beautiful thing is that we are moving wrong when we do it. Because John was right, God is love. He who hates does not know God. But he who loves has the key that unlocks the door to the meaning of ultimate reality. And so I say to you today, my friends, that you may be able to speak with the tongues of men and angels. 
You may have the eloquence of articulate speech, but if you have not love, it means nothing. Yes, you may have the gift of prophecy. You may have the gift of scientific prediction and understand the behavior of molecules. You may break into the storehouse of nature and bring forth many new insights. Yes, you may ascend to the heights of academic achievement so that you have all knowledge. And you may boast of your great institutions of learning and the boundless extent of your degrees, but if you have not love, all of these mean absolutely nothing. You may even give your goods to feed the poor. You may bestow great gifts to charity. You may tower high in philanthropy. But if you have not love, your charity means nothing. You may even give your body to be burned and die the death of a martyr, and your spilled blood may be a symbol of honor for generations yet unborn. And thousands may praise you as one of history's greatest heroes. But if you have not love, your blood was spilt in vain. What I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that a man may be self-centered in his self-denial and self-righteous in his self-sacrifice. His generosity may feed his ego, and his piety may feed his pride. So without love, benevolence... Which gets me back to the whole situation with Facebook. As I said at the beginning, I was really reluctant to get back on, and I really got on mostly because of educational technology. But once I began to accept friends on Facebook, and these were predominantly people from the town that I grew up with, uh, the same old stories and the same old attitudes were being posted on Facebook. Now, they weren't blatant racist, but there was that little subtlety about things like all lives matter, um, for example, would be posted or comments that would, you know, try to look at the situation and not really understand their own little racist attitudes. So it's very difficult for me to decide whether to stay on Facebook or not. I think in some ways I would be willing to have discussions with people about these situations, but I often compare it to like trying to talk logic to a drunk. Um, because when you try to bring out fa facts, um, oftentimes they are looked at as now fake news. Or we're looking at, um, you know, alternative facts. Who come out in front of the podium for the first time and utter a falsehood. Why did he do that? It undermines the credibility of the entire White House press office no, on doesn't. day don't one. Don't be so don't be so overly dramatic about it, Chuck. What it, it, you're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains: alternative facts, alternative facts. Four of the five facts he uttered. The hey, one Chuck, thing he why, got hey, right Chuck. was Zeke Miller. Four of the five facts he uttered were just not true. Look, alternative facts are not facts; they're falsehoods. Now, we can look at other situations as far as corruption, the so-called cleaning the swamp, 
when we look at the number of convictions and indictments. If we look at the situation and we look at the facts, and this is coming from PolitiFact, is six out of 34 indictments are in Trump's inner circle. If we look at environment, 66 rollbacks were completed and 34 are in progress. What does this mean to your children and to your grandchildren? The lies, over 19,000 lies based on fact-checking. Failure of educational system to educate for us to think. Too many go by what is said and refuse to think for themselves. We buy into this conspiracy theory without questioning anything. And if we question everything, it's always a situation where, well, that's just fake news. The thing to remember here, folks, is we're all on the same boat. We're on the same island. Earth is one big island. And we're all here together. And as much as you think one situation doesn't impact another, the whole situation today is that our failures to provide equal treatment to all is going to come back and impact you, whether you like to think of it as true or not. It's the reality. So as I look at whether to stay on Facebook or not, I'm just tired of the same old situation. There is way too much anger and too much hate. And when I really look at it, the situation, I really ask people to look within their hearts, really, based on the things that have happened over the past three and a half years, really, could you support those types of situations which we have been called into play. There are people out on the streets protesting, and for some, they think of them as being a radical, uh, un-American. But what do they really say? What are we really looking at? And what, what really do you want for your future? And I think the bottom line is, based on what we've seen over the past three and a half years, I'm sorry to say, but I really believe that a lot of the support that Trump now has is really coming from a very racist attitude. Because if you weren't a racist, and based on what he said and done over the past three and a half years, can you excuse all of that and still support him? I have to believe that somewhere within their hearts that there's racism going on in their decision-making process. So as I contemplate whether to stay on Facebook or not, that's a situation that I look at is, is it really worth it? And really can people really look within their hearts or, or are they going to constantly look for situations where they can justify their beliefs? And the thing is that I'll look at later in other podcasts is the, really the situation with Facebook is with what Facebook allows to be posted. Is it really about First Amendment rights or is it really about money superseding integrity? When I look at education, are we really truly educating people to be thinkers or are we educating people to learn how to be good test takers? And when I later look at educational technology, what I like to look at is that educational technology is not an end to a means, that it's just a tool like any other tool that you would use in school. 
So as I end this first podcast, I'd ask people to really think about this coming November. I like people to think about where their hearts truly lie and to be honest with themselves. Because if you were truly honest with yourself, you may have to admit certain things that maybe you don't really care to admit to yourself. So with that being said, we'll talk next time. Thanks for listening. Dress itself to the question of restructuring the whole of American society. There are 40 million poor people here. And one day we must ask the question, why are there 40 million poor people in America? When you begin to ask that question, raising a question about the economic system, about a broader distribution of wealth. When you ask that question, you begin to question the capitalistic economy. And I'm simply saying that more and more, we've got to begin to ask questions about the whole society we are called upon to help the discouraged beggars in life's marketplace. One day we must come to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. It means that questions must be raised. See, my friends, when you deal with this, you begin to ask the question, who owns the oil? You begin to ask the question, who owns the iron oil? begin to ask the question, why is it that people have to pay water bills in a world that's two-thirds water? These are words that must be said. I don't think you have me in a bind today. I'm not talking about communism. What I'm talking about is far beyond communism. My inspiration didn't come from Karl Marx. My inspiration didn't come from Engels. My inspiration didn't come from Trotsky. My inspiration didn't come from Lenin. Yes, I read Communist Manifesto and Das Kapital a long time ago. And I saw that maybe Marx didn't follow Hegel enough. He took his dialectics, but he left out his idealism and his spiritualism. And he went over to a German philosopher by the name of Feuerbach and took his materialism and made it into a system that he called dialectical materialism. I have to reject that. What I'm saying to you this morning, communism forgets that life individual. Capitalism forgets that life is social. Kingdom of brotherhood is found neither in the theses of communism nor the antithesis of capitalism, but in a higher synthesis. It's found in a higher synthesis. That come combines the truths of both. Now when I say question in the whole society, it means ultimately coming to see that the problem of racism 
the problem of economic exploitation and the problem of war, all tied together. These are the triple evils that are interrelated. And if you will let me be a preacher just a little bit, one day, one night a juror came to Jesus. And he wanted to know what he could do to be saved. Jesus didn't get bogged down on the kind of isolated approach of what you shouldn't do. Jesus didn't say, now, Nicodemus, you must stop lying. He didn't say, Nicodemus, now, you must not commit adultery. He didn't say, now, Nicodemus, you must stop cheating if you are doing that. He didn't say, Nicodemus, you must stop drinking liquor if you are doing that excessively. He said something altogether different because Jesus realized something basic. That if a man will lie, he will steal. And if a man will steal, he will kill. So instead of just getting bogged down on one thing, Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, your whole structure must be changed. A nation that will keep people in slavery for 244 years will thingify them and make them things. And therefore, they will exploit them and poor people generally, economically. And a nation that will exploit economically will have to have foreign investments and everything else, and it will have to use its military might to protect them. All of these problems are tied together. What I'm saying today is that we must go from this convention and say, America, you must be born again. So I conclude by saying today that we have a task and let us go out the divine dissatisfaction. Let us be dissatisfied until America will no longer have a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. Let us be dissatisfied until the tragic walls that separate the outer city of wealth and comfort from the inner city of poverty and despair shall be crushed by the battering rams of the forces of justice. Let us be dissatisfied until they live on the outskirts of hope, brought into the metropolis of daily security. Let us be dissatisfied until slums are cast into the junk heaps of history and every family will live in a decent sanitary home. Let us be dissatisfied until the dark yesterdays of segregated schools will be transformed into bright tomorrows of quality, integrated education. Let us be dissatisfied 
until integration is not seen as a problem, but as an opportunity to participate in the beauty of diversity, let us be dissatisfied until men and women, however black they may be, will be judged on the basis of the content of their character, not on the basis of the color of their skin. Let us be dissatisfied. Let us be dissatisfied until every state capital be housed by a governor who will do justly, who will love mercy, and who will walk humbly with his God. Let us be dissatisfied until from every city hall justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let us be dissatisfied until that day when the lion and the lamb shall lie down together. And every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree, and none shall be afraid. Let us be dissatisfied. Until men will recognize that out of one blood, God made all men to dwell upon the face of the earth. Let us be dissatisfied until that day when nobody will shout white power, when nobody 